0: unsearchable. I want to continue this morning to think about and talk about his unsearchable greatness, particularly as it has application to believers. And one specific application that I want to focus on this morning, and that's the application of love, that is beyond comprehension. So as we consider that today, let's pray and ask for God's blessing on the ministry of his holy word. Father, we peer into mysteries that we cannot fully comprehend, and that is frightening, because how can we do justice to what we can't even completely understand. Therefore, if ever we were in need of your light and your grace and your spirit to shine light on our hearts that we can benefit from your word as your people, we need your blessing today. And therefore we plead with you because you are a God of grace, you are a generous father, who loves us, though we have not earned it or merited it, and we certainly don't deserve it. And we thank you for your great love. And we pray that by the Holy Spirit, it will shine light on our hearts, and it would not just be in our heads, but that it would be in our hearts when we're done today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now in this message about God's incomprehensible love, I have an introduction, an exposition, and an application. Now just, I want to introduce it by a little bit of review, and then a preview, a review. Last time in Psalm 45, we looked about God's unsearchable greatness The psalmist talked about unsearchable works or accomplishments of creation, providence, and redemption. Unsearchable goodness. Where he said to Moses, and he alludes to it, I'll make all my goodness pass before you, the Lord, the Lord, merciful, gracious, abundant in love and kindness, slow to anger, showing mercy, and then his unsearchable dominion. And he gives thanks and praise to God that God's being and God's greatness and God's decisions and God's actions are all unsearchable and beyond the limits of human intellect or investigation. And as human beings in Christ, we do know God personally and truly. And yet, We can never understand God completely or comprehensively explain who and what he is or what he does or why he does it. And then the implication for sinners from Isaiah 55 because his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways higher than our ways It's not that we should run from him, but that we should come to him because he will abundantly pardon. Now that's a bit of a review. Here's a preview. I want to now consider with you this morning how this glorious reality that God is a lot bigger than we can ever explain or understand completely, how this applies to us as those who believe in God and as those who know the Lord and those that have been saved by his grace. And for that, I want to focus on love that is beyond comprehension. And that's where I get into now an exposition. And the text is from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. And I want to open this up. The reason I've selected this text is down in verse 19. This is the connection. Verse 19 shows us the connection between God's love, Christ's love, and God's unsearchable or incomprehensible greatness. That is, Greatness that can never be completely and fully understood by human beings. The apostle says that he prays for them, that they would know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. Literally, it says the surpassing knowledge love of Christ, that you would know experientially something. What does he want them to know? He wants them to know the surpassing knowledge love of Christ. And this connects love with God's unsearchable greatness. So, let's get into the exposition then of this particular text that focuses on incomprehensible love. For this reason... Verse 14, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory or possibly his glorious wealth or his glorious abundance to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith, that you would stand rooted and grounded in love, that you would be able to grasp with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, and to know the surpassing knowledge, love of Christ, that you would be filled unto all the fullness of God. Now to him who's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever Amen. Or it could be in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And you have here pastoral prayer for spiritual growth and health of the saints. And I want you to consider just briefly how he prays and then what he prays. How does he pray? He prays on bended knee. He humbles himself and submits himself to his God and Father in his prayer for God's people. And he's addressing God the Father as the head of the whole spiritual family of the redeemed in heaven and on earth. His focus in this letter is on the church universal. And how that particular church belongs to the whole society of God's redeemed in heaven and on earth. The whole of his spiritual family. And he appeals to his grace that he would grant you, that he would give you his generosity. And then he says that he's praying for them that God would grant them out of his grace and generosity according to his glorious wealth, according to the wealth of his glory, according to his abundance of infinite capacity. He's praying with that kind of faith to God as the head of his whole spiritual family to whom they belong on bended knee with submission and humility before God and with expectation that the God to whom he prays has wealth of glory and capacity to give that is infinite, inexhaustible. You can never run out of his ability to give. And now what does he pray? He prays for their spiritual growth and health. And there are various ways that you could arrange this prayer. First of all, he prays for their enablement. Secondly, for companionship. Thirdly, for stability. Fourth, experiential knowledge And finally, spiritual energy to glorify God. And then the expectation with which he prays is that God is able to do in answer to prayer beyond anything we could even think to ask with regard to the power that works in his people. So let's look at what he prays. He prays, first of all, for what he calls inward enablement. Literally, I pray that God would give you to be strengthened with power by the Holy Spirit in the inward man. That you would be strengthened with power By the Holy Spirit in the inward man. The church and the Christian life do not run on human strength, unaided and alone. Spiritual growth and spiritual health come from the Holy Spirit working in the hearts of God's people. Comes from inside, not outside. It comes from God, not from us. Where does the strength come from? Where does the power come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit of God. And he's praying for them that they would receive strength inside And that this inward strength would be given to them by the Holy Spirit of God. So that if we have strength, it is not of ourselves. It is from God working in us. From the very beginning of the Christian life. It didn't start with human strength. It starts when dead sinners are spiritually resurrected by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. And it continues, he says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes." The power, the strength to live in gospel holiness does not come from ourselves. He lives in us. He dwells in us. And he works in us to will and to work for his good pleasure by the Holy Spirit that he places in us. When he regenerates us, he takes out the heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh. The Holy Spirit morally renews the whole soul. And when we believe the Holy Spirit is given to us as a free gift from God and he dwells in us and enables us to walk in God's statutes, he works in us to will, he works in us to want, to choose, to decide, to resolve, to obey God. So if we're wanting and choosing and deciding and resolving, are we doing that? Yes. Who is working in us to do that? Who's working in us to resolve? Who's producing that resolution, those choices, those decisions, those desires? Who produces those? The Holy Spirit. Well, do I want it? Yes. Who produced that wanting in me? The Holy Spirit. Do I resolve it? Yes. Who produced that resolution in me? The Holy Spirit. Not my own strength. He works in us to will. He works in us to work also. Do I try? Yes. Who produced that trying? The Holy Spirit. Whatever I do, the Holy Spirit enables me to do it and produces that doing in me. And this is what he's praying for. He's praying for them that more and more the Holy Spirit will be working in them to strengthen them to will and to do what pleases God. He's praying for spiritual strength, inward enablement by the Holy Spirit. But he combines that with what I've called heart companionship heart companionship literally it says to dwell the Christ that he would grant you not only to be strengthened with power by the Holy Spirit in the inward man but that he would grant you literally to dwell the Christ through the faith in your hearts that he would grant you this the Christ to dwell. In other words, that he would grant you that Christ would dwell through the faith by means of your faith in your hearts. Again, it's inward. And this time it's companionship. It's the special presence of God with you that you would not Live your life alone, spiritually alone. But that the companionship of the risen Christ would be your experience by means of your faith. That you would have Christ with you always in your hearts by means of your faith. That's what he's praying. The spiritual companionship. That through faith, receiving Christ, drawing near to Christ, relying on Christ, going to Christ, you would experience his special presence so that you would never, ever be spiritually alone but always have him with you. That God would grant you to dwell the Christ in your hearts through, by means of, your faith. That you would be exercising faith daily. And experiencing the presence of the living Christ in your heart. Thirdly, he's also praying for something else. He prays for stability. Stability. And he uses a different form here. I don't want to get into a Greek lesson, but he prays for spiritual stability. In love, that you would stand rooted and grounded. In love, that you would stand rooted and grounded. He uses a form that expresses the idea, basically, that the rooting and grounding has already taken place and that you would continue in that state of being rooted and grounded So, he doesn't want them to have shallow spiritual roots, but deep spiritual roots. Shallow roots, what happens? Strong wind blows, it blows the tree over, and it rips it up out of the ground. Ever seen trees uprooted? Seen that? Strong wind, uprooted. Couldn't withstand it. But he wants their roots to grow deep, and he wants the foundation not to be a wishy-washy built on mud, but a foundation that is solid and stable and secure. So he wants them built and rooted deep. And then the rooting and those founding having been done, he wants that to remain steadfast in that state of being rooted and grounded. He's praying for their stability, spiritual stability that they're going to withstand the storms and the difficulties of life and not be blown over or toppled by the afflictions and the persecutions, the difficulties and the losses, but that their rooting and founding would last, be permanent, And no difficulties and storms of life would blow them over, destroy them, and top them. And that they would be rooted and grounded, held up through everything by the love of God. Which then, he starts to get into the specifics of that spiritual stability
1: that he's praying
0: for. And that they would be stable and have companionship with Christ in their hearts by faith and strengthened by the Holy Spirit to seek and serve and follow what the Lord wants. Stable and companionship, stability, companionship, enablement, strength. Here it comes. That you would be able. Verse 18, with all the saints to grasp what is the width and length and depth and height and to know the surpassing knowledge love of Christ. He prays for them that they would have experiential knowledge of Christ's infinite, incomprehensible, immeasurable, unsearchable love. When they have that stability, in order to have that, they have his presence, in order to have that, they need the strength of the Holy Spirit. By the strength of the Holy Spirit, when they experientially know the love of Christ, his companionship and spiritual stability are connected with that experiential know. He says, first of all, I want you to be able to grasp the dimensions. Now, I try to, how am I going to illustrate dimensions? Well, he talks about the width and the length. So, how do I do this? I'm looking this way, forward. Backwards. There's my width. I'm looking this way and this way. There's my length. Huh? There's my stupidity. Then if I want to look up and down, I have the height and I have the depth. Height and the depth and the width and the length. Right? so he's talking about the dimensions and you could look at the dimensions and i i think he's you know he's talking about it in in all its if you can measure the dimensions of something you can tell uh using that those coordinates the uh uh the x axis and the y axis and the z axis right you could tell from those axes you could tell where any point is Relative to any other point using those coordinates. So if you're standing right in the middle of the love of Christ, you can see how far up it goes and how far down it goes. How far this way it goes, and how far that way it goes, and how far that way it goes, and how far that way it goes, and you can see that if you look out this way as far as you can see, it goes out that way, way beyond it. You can't see out there to that side of it. You can't see that side of it. You can't even start to see this side of it or that side of it. You can't see how far up it goes. You can't see how far down it goes. You, you, you grasp the idea that it's as far as the eye can see and the ear can hear and you can take your binoculars and look and you still can't see the end of it you can take a telescope and look. You can't see the end of it. You look this way, you look that way, you look this way, you look that way, you look up, you look down, and you can't see the end of it. That you would grasp that its dimensions are immeasurable. You can't measure it with any instrument ever made by man. You couldn't possibly measure the dimensions. And so you start with that. But then he says, not only that you would grasp its dimensions that they're immeasurable, but you would know, experience, personally, have spiritual intercourse with, that you would Experientially know this love. This knowledge passing love. This love that you can't ever measure and can't fully understand, but that you would experience it personally, truly, and genuinely. And he says, he prays that for them, they would have this experiential knowledge of the love of Christ. That, finally, they would be filled unto all the fullness of God. That they would have energy, spiritual energy to run on. Spiritual energy to fuel the church spiritual energy to fuel the Christian life. That they would not be empty people, but filled with love in order to do what the church does for God's glory and to live the Christian life for the glory of God. That you would be filled unto all the fullness of of God. The church runs on love. The Christian life runs on love. All the church does in evangelism runs on love. All the church does in worship runs on love. All the church does in fellowship runs on love. The Christian life runs on love that you would be filled unto all the fullness of God. So that's what he prays. He prays for inward enablement by the Holy Spirit, heart companionship with Christ by faith, spiritual stability and love, experiential knowledge that they would truly know and experience Christ's infinite love and spiritual energy, that they would be filled with the energy of that love to serve and to please God as Christians and as a church, he prays for their spiritual growth and their spiritual health as saints. Which brings me to the final thing I want to address this morning, which is the application. Well, so, if the church runs on love and Christian life runs on love, so, where are we going with this? Well, here you go first of all clean out your tank what clean out your tank clean out your tank you got gunk in the tank clean out the tank clean out the tank you can't run your Christian life and you can't run the church on self-righteousness and pride and carnal ambition. That's all kinds of gunk in the tank. Get it out of the tank. Don't belong in there. So uh, can you illustrate this about cleaning out the tank? Yeah, a little bit. Okay. We got a generator this year. And <laughs> already Tim's laughing, right? Tim knows, you know where this illustration is going, don't you? We, we, got it, we got a generator this year, right? So maybe we lose power. And it was my idea not to first start the generator at 4 o'clock in the morning when it was all dark and the power went out. And then I'm going to go out there and try to figure out how to plug it in, how to start it, how to put it. No, no, no. It didn't seem prudent to me to do that. So a good old brother Timmy came over and he helped me with this and we got the generators started up so we would know how to work it and you know what happened. Of course, the tank was empty. It was a gasoline generator and the tank was empty. So we took gasoline, right? And started to pour the gasoline in the tank, and when we poured the gasoline in the tank we hear clunk. What's that? Put the gasoline down. Turn the generator, and there's some little piece of solid thing, gunk, in the tank. And we take the tongs, and we put the tongs, and we pull it out. You know what it was? Ice. Yeah, ice gotten into the nozzle of the gas can and threw out the ice. You think the generator would have run good on ice? You think that would have worked out to put water in the generator? How do you think that would have worked out? You've got to get the gunk out of the tank. The Christian life is not gonna run on ice. It's not gonna run on pride. It's not gonna run on self-righteousness. And it's not gonna run with an empty tank. You can't run a church on an empty tank. And you can't live the Christian life on an empty tank. And if you got ice in the tank, you gotta get it out of the tank. Because you can't run it on water. You can't run it on self-righteousness. And you can't run it on pride. You can't run it on your own human strength. If you got that garbage gunk in your tank, get it out. Because it ain't going to run right. Clean out the tank. Check the tank. What do you got in the tank? Amazing grace. What do we got in the tank? Getting cold. Check the tank. Turning into winter time. Twenty degrees this morning. Sooner or later it's gonna get cold. You better check the tank. What's in the tank? Open it up and look. Empty? Then you gotta fill it. Gunk, then you gotta clean it. The Christian church cannot run on self-righteousness and pride. Can't run the church that way. The Christian life cannot run on self-righteousness, pride, and arrogance. Get it out if it's there. But then the second thing is this. What in the world good would it have done us if we had cleaned that ice out of the tank and said, oh, good, the tank's clean. you got to fill the tank. You can't run the generator with an empty tank. You gotta put fuel in the tank to run it. And you gotta keep fuel in the tank when you run it. You can't let it go dry and go empty. You follow the point? So you gotta put the fuel in the tank. Fill your heart with love. Not your love. God's love, Christ's love. AGC, fill the tank of this church with love. Not your love, the love of Christ. This is the fuel. That you may be filled unto all the fullness of God. This is the fuel that runs the Christian life. This is the fuel that runs the Christian church. It's love. It's Christ's love. God's love. It doesn't run on guilt. It doesn't run on fear. It runs on love. Now I thought, well, how could I illustrate this, that it doesn't run on fear and guilt and I hope I don't get so technical that I go over your heads. I could see you understood about the generator living in the country, huh You got that, but maybe there's something you don't understand it's that the human body has different systems by which it supplies itself with energy. Ah uh, yeah, over your I this is not good, is it? Well, anyway. It has a system that supplies it with energy without oxygen, without supplying oxygen. That's called anaerobic. And it has another one that runs with the supply of oxygen, and that's called aerobic. Now, you start out, and for intense bursts of energy, the body starts out with a with a, with a, a non oxygen couple of systems, but here's the point: these systems only last for a few seconds. Like the first system that the body uses is intense, and you can go, but you can only go for about three to five seconds on this fuel. And then it's got another system that it uses that's also anaerobic. And that lasts a little more than 30 seconds. So how can I illustrate this? You ever see a sprinter tie up? Did you ever see that happen? Oh, yeah, I saw it happen. saw so it happen to me. You, you run, you run, and then you go as fast as you can. And then after a while, after maybe 20, 30 seconds, run as fast as you can, your legs turn to lead, your arms turn to lead. Your next turn to leg, you can't move your leg, you can't your arms, you've got so much lactate, you can't. you just can't, you're done. Unless you can convert to an aerobic system, you're done. You can't move anymore. OK? Now, guilt and fear are kind of like that. Say, so, well, here's the point. Do you see yourself as a hell-deserving sinner? Yes, I do. I'm a hell-deserving sinner. And I'm aware of my sin. And I'm ashamed of my sin. And I'm guilty for my sin. And I know that I deserve to go to hell. And there's a fear that I deserve to go to hell. And a righteous God is going to send me there. And that does fuel me spiritually. But I don't live on that. That maybe lasts three to five seconds. Where does that lead you? It leads you to Christ. And then you don't run the Christian life on that first three to five seconds. If you do, you tie up like a sprinter that's trying to run full out for 500 meters, and at about 300 meters his legs turn to lead, his arms turn to lead, you can't run the Christian life or the Christian church on guilt and fear. They have a place, but the place is to make you feel your need of Jesus. Can't run your life on it, you can't run the church on it. What you have to run your life on and the church on is not guilt and fear it 's love that 's like the the aerobic energy supplier of the Christian life. The guilt and fear that lasts for a few seconds only leads us to Jesus, where we fuel our souls on his love and his forgiveness and his grace and his mercy. And that love and grace and forgiveness and mercy fuel our souls to live the Christian life. It doesn't run on guilt and fear, folks. It runs on love. It's a sad thing when somebody totally misconstrues the Christian life and thinks this is a religion that's only made about guilt and fear and that the whole thing is about if you don't do everything God wants and you're living in this awful guilt and this awful fear that God's going to damn you and that's the only thing that ever motivates a Christian. That is a complete misunderstanding of the Christian life. It's a distortion. It's a caricature. It's a total perversion of the Christian life. That's not what the Christian life is about at all. It's true that I'm a hell-deserving sinner. And I know I deserve to go to hell and a just God has every right to send me there. And that's what motivated me to come to Jesus. And every time I continue to sin, I understand that I'm a hell-deserving sinner saved by grace. But what fuels my life is not guilt and fear. It's love. It's the love that Jesus has for wretched, hell-deserving sinners like me and you. It's about grace and love, mercy, forgiveness, kindness. Drink on that. Fill your soul with that. Experience that. Go to Christ. And here's the thing, that you would grasp We're never, ever, ever going to run out of that fuel. You can't run out of it. You can run out of oil. You can have shortages and lines and everything else. But you can't run out of love that's infinite, that you can't even measure this way and that way, and this way, and that you can't measure it. You can't run out of it. We're never gonna sin so much that we're gonna exhaust the supplies of the love of Christ. Can't happen. Love of Christ is infinite and immeasurable. Where, grace, where sin abounds, grace the more abounds. Now, I only can mention this briefly today, but it seems to me that the whole message is coming to this point right here. And maybe I'll take a whole week next week and just expound it. Here I'm telling you, right? You don't run the Christian life. It's not fueled ultimately on guilt and fear. It's fueled on love. How do you fill your tank? How do you do it? In a state of New Jersey... Where I grew up, they wouldn't let you put gas in your own tank. Had to have an attendant do it. But out in Michigan, you learned how to fuel your own tank. Right? And here in New York, you got to put your own gas in your own tank. Don't you? Isn't that nice? You all know how to do that, right? You take your car you know how to get the gas out of the pump into the tank all the steps you have to do, everything you have to go through, what good does it do if you've got an empty tank and your car's sitting there, but you don't put any gas in it because you don't know how to pump the fuel out of the, out of the gas pump and into your tank? What good is it? It didn't help you, did it? You're not going anywhere because your tank's still empty because you know where the gas is, but you don't know how to put it in the tank. Capisce? So how do you put the fuel of Jesus' love in your spiritual tank? How do you do that? What do you do? So I say, this is what's all coming to. but what good is it? You say, "Oh this, oh yeah, great, cool, and you leave here empty. How did I help you if you go out of here empty? Did that help you? No. Didn't help anybody. I don't want anybody going out empty. I don't want you staying empty. I don't want you running out of gas on the way home. I'm talking about spiritual gas. I don't want you running out. So, how do you put it in the tank? What do you do? You get out of the car. You go over to the pump. You get the thing turned on. You have to put your cart in, whatever you're going to do. And you take it out. You wait. You push the buttons. Stick the nozzle. Oh, you have to open it first, don't you? Stick the nozzle in and you fill the tank. And you watch a little thing go around until the tank is full. That's what you do. Well, how do you do that spiritually? How do you actually fuel your spiritual tank with the love of Jesus? What do you do? Oh, you go to Jesus by faith with all of your sin. And you take all your sin by faith to Jesus, the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. As God's beloved children walk in love, even as Christ also loved you and gave himself an offering for your sin. So you take that sin that you did, and by faith you take it to the cross, and you know that you are a hell-deserving sinner, and you deserve to go to hell and you know that a just God must punish that sin And so you take that sin that you did and that you're conscious of and that you're aware of and that that guilt is fueling you for five seconds and then you go and you take it by faith to the cross and there you see Jesus by faith punished for what you did and why was he punished For what you did. Because he loves you. And you embrace the love of Jesus. That forgives your sin. That was punished for your sin. That endured the wrath of God for your sin. That satisfied the justice of God for your sin. And you leave it there. And then you think. About the greatness, about the overwhelming grace of that love, that good will, that compassion and mercy and kindness that would do something like that for you, and not just for one sin but for every sin that you ever did or are doing or ever will do for all of it, and not just for yours but for the sins of all the family of Christ in heaven and on earth, for all of those who are named as the Father's children, all the redeemed. And you think about that love, and you dwell on that love, and you meditate on that love until that love fills up your tank. And then, what do you do with a full tank? You praise God, you thank God, you serve God in order to please God, out of gratitude to God. And when the tank is empty, you fill it up again, and you fill it up again, and you keep filling it up. And if you like some people I know, you never let it go below half empty. You just keep filling that tank every single day. And out of the fullness of that love, you serve God. You seek God. That's it. That's what Paul's praying for them. That's the practical application of God's unsearchable greatness. Well, may God be pleased that our church would not be an empty place, but would be filled with love. It doesn't, doesn't really matter. Well, we would like to see the chairs filled with people, but the most important thing is that the people are filled with love and that the people are filled with love, the love of Christ. It's not our love that fills us. It's his love that fills us. May God be pleased to fill us to all the fullness of God for his honor and glory. Let's pray.